Welcome to Threshold Church. If you have a Bible, open to Psalm 85. It's going to take us a couple minutes to get there. We'll eventually get there in some other passages as well. Tonight's message is going to be a little bit, a little bit different, although I don't know if we have a normal. But it's going to be a little bit different in that it's really... I believe a significant directional message for our church family. A significant directional message for our church body. So it's going to be a message, it's going to be a sermon, it's going to be be preaching, but it's also going to be directional, meaning it's going to be vision and forward movement. It's, It's in some ways the kind of message I might normally wait and do at a members meeting first, but I really just sense the urgency uh, that, that it needs to be brought in now. Uh, we couldn't wait till our next, you know, members meeting in a couple, you know, month, month and a half. So I did email our members and said, hey, please, if you're able, you know, to, to be here. But um, a significant directional message. If I had to title this message, I don't always title messages, but I guess sometimes it's helpful. Chad likes it so we can put it on the, on the, on the website, right, Chad? Uh, I would title this, Going All In for Revival. Going All In for Revival. And I'm going to get into more, I'm going to bring some definition, what we're talking about by that. This, this message is really kind of a, um, it's been building over the last several months. To be honest, it's been building over the last 20 years. But really over the last six months, God has been doing something personally. God's been doing something with a small group of us. God's been doing something, uh, I know, in me, in our leadership team. And uh, has been stirring something up along the topic of revival. When people hear that word revival, that can mean different things to different people. So in a couple minutes, I'm going to define what I mean by it. But I can just tell you that there's been something happening uh, really since December and then going into New Year's, New Year's Day, when I was reading uh, Corey Russell's book, The Gift of Tears, and then into just uh, the, the commissioning that happened in February and on, God has been drawing me into a place of uh, remembering the past revivals, the revivals of our history, the revivals of this nation, drawing me into revival uh, books and study and just stirring things up. And this is not necessarily a new thing because it's been a theme that that God has kind of interwoven in my life for, for the last 20 years. It's been a theme. And I've done messages over the years here every once in a while. I brought some messages, but there's something different there's something unique. There's something happening about this specific time um, of the expectancy and of the pieces that God has put together in preparation for what, he, for what he wants to do. You know, we've had over the last couple months, we've had different themes come through. We had a theme in April of cleansing, cleansing in the house of God, you know, uh, embracing God's judgments seeing God bring cleansing to us as individuals, cleansing in the church body. Um, and we, we've had these kind of themes. Last week, my wife brought a message on the wineskin and preparing the heart and all that kind of stuff. But what is it unto? What is it unto? Where is it going? Why is God highlighting these things? Why is God bringing judgment to his house? It's not just to bring judgment. It's to prepare the way for what he wants to do. 
is to prepare the way. There's judgment that leads to cleansing, but then it leads to outpouring. It leads to outpouring of the Holy Spirit. God is preparing the way for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He's preparing the way for an outpouring of his spirit. And that's why there's been cleansing. That's why there's been a call for deeper consecration, a call for repentance, a call for examining our hearts and humbling ourselves and consecrating ourselves and giving ourselves fully. All of that is preparation for what God wants to do. It's not an end in and of itself. Do you hear that? So the Lord began to move personally in me, drawing me into a deeper place, drawing me into a fresh stirring of the Holy Spirit. And then that eventually led to, um, not just for me, but then it led to a, a small group of us uh, among our staff, among our elders, and among our intercessory team that have, have committed ourselves to go all in to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we've been committed. It's been, um, I can't remember now, it's been a month or two, a month and a half. I can't remember what we've started. Um, we, we gather weekly for intercession, for prayer. Uh, there, there's just a deeper place of prayer he's bringing us into. Uh, there's a commitment to fasting each week. There's a commitment to being here for prayer. Uh, that's, so he's, he's been uh, enlarging it. And now I've just really felt like we need to bring the congregation into more of what God's doing because this is, affecting our identity as a church. This is going to affect our identity as a church. It's going to affect our future as a church. It's not going to change the vision necessarily. It's not going to change. We're called to build an apostolic hub. We're called to be a local congregation. Yes, we're called to be a house of prayer, a base for equipping, a place of healing and deliverance. That's not stopping. We're going to have life groups. We're going to have, those things aren't stopping. However, when we go all in for revival, we have to understand what we're saying yes to. We have to understand the all-consuming nature of what we are going after. You don't add revival to the equation. Revival is not something you can just add on to your everything else. Like we have this program, we have that program, oh yeah, and then we also have revival. That's just not how revival works. It becomes an all-consuming, driving focus. It becomes something that takes precedent over other things. It's going to shape the way uh, our services are. It's going to shape the things that we decide to do. And I don't know exactly how that's all going to look just yet. This is where the beginning stages of this pursuit. And there's going to be conversations as an elder team of, you know, what does this look like? Again, it's not a change in the vision. It's giving us a laser focused pursuit to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon this region, upon this land. That this is what we are called to see. This is what we are called to see. Just about two weeks ago, in this journey that we've been on, I just had this sense that God is shifting our identity as a church body. You know, there's sometimes where God will change a person's identity in the Bible, he changes their name. You think about Jacob 
after he wrestled with God, after he had that time of wrestling with the angel of the Lord, and he prevailed, and, and God changed his name. He said, you'll no longer be called Jacob, you shall be called Israel, for you have prevailed with God. You've struggled with God, you've wrestled with God and prevailed. You shall be called Israel. There was an identity change. Now, I'm not saying we're going to change the name of our church. We have no plans for that unless God does that. But I believe that there's an identity change. We've been known as a church of deliverance. I believe God wants to make us known as a church of revival. That doesn't mean we're not going to do deliverance, but there is a difference. There is a difference. We've been known, m many people know of Threshold Church as a church that does deliverance. It's become a, a reputation, good or bad. <laughs> Some people love us because of it. Some people hate us because of it. That's okay. We obey the Lord. We've been known as a church that does deliverance, but I believe God is saying you'll be known as a church of revival. There is a difference. It's going to impact everything we do, everything we are. As I look back over the last nine, eight, nine years of my involvement here at Threshold, I can look back and I can see that we've had tastes and we've had touches of the Holy Spirit's moving, of the outpouring of God's Spirit. I remember we've had seasons. I remember back in 2016 where there was a season where God emphasized open heavens and we were seeing the Holy Spirit move mightily and powerfully and we saw powerful things happening in our midst. I thought we were on the brink of an outpouring in that time and all of a sudden it was like, phew, went flat. I remember this in 2016. I remember other, other moments, other seasons. We've had times of pressing in. We do prayer, we do fasting. We've had, we've had these, these moments where God's given us a taste. It's kind of like when Moses sent the spies into the land. He allowed them to have a taste of it before they were going to go in and take possession of it. He allowed them to see the fruit on a small scale. But, at one, but then at some point he said, now you have to all go in and take possession of the land. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. We have promises from the Bible. We have, we have the promises of Scripture. We're going to look at some tonight. We have prophetic words that have been spoken over us as a church body. We have prophetic words of revival, of outpouring. So now it's time to press in in a unified, intentional way until we see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now it's time to press in in an intentional way, in a unified way, until we see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 85. Psalm 85. I'm just going to read a couple passages that speak of this concept of revival. And I'm going to bring some definition. What are we talking about here? What do we mean by this? Psalm 85, verse 4. Restore us, O God, of our salvation. Restore. Restore us. That means bring us back to a former condition. Something has been lost if it needs to be restored. 
Something's missing if it needs to be restored. Restore us, O God of our salvation. Cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Verse 6, will you not revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you. Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Will you not revive us again? A cry for revival. Will you not revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you. It's a cry for restoration. It's a cry for the people of God to be brought back to the place they're meant to be. It's a cry for God to awaken his people, revive his people. Do you know that we are not living anywhere close to the fullness of how God intends us to live? There's no way we can read the Bible and think that what we have right now is all there is to the Christian life. There's just no way. There's no way I can read the book of Acts, which I just read through, and conclude that what I have right now is, is it. That's all there is. There's no way. Something's missing. Something's been stolen. Something's not here that needs to be here. Someone. And so there's a cry that says, restore us, God. Won't you revive us again? Won't you do it? Won't you pour out your spirit? Won't you awaken us? Won't you revive your people? Won't you show us your mercy? Won't you grant us your salvation? There's another passage, Isaiah 64. We're going to look at a couple different passages that speak to this concept of revival. Isaiah 64, verse 1 and 2. Another cry for revival. Another cry. A desperate cry. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down. That's a good definition of revival right there. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would tear through the heavens, that you, God, would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. The fire, as fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make known your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. Let me tell you something. Right now, the nations are not trembling. They're not trembling at his presence. But they will when he comes. They will when he rends the heavens and comes down. You know, our theme for our 21-day fast was open heavens. That was our theme in January. Open heavens. If you missed that, I encourage you to listen to the first message of the year, pressing in for an open heaven. It really, this is a continuation of that. Because here's the reality. We can't just have a 21-day time of prayer and fasting and then go back to business as usual. We can't. We cannot. And that's why we're being really intentional 
That's why we're gathering together people of like-mindedness. That's why there's a group that are pressing in from our elder team, from our staff, from our intercessory prayer team. That's why I'm bringing the congregation in, that we're going to be intentional about unified pressing in. This is what they did before the day of Pentecost. This is what they did before the day of Pentecost. It says in Acts 1.14 that all of them were together steadfastly in prayer, in unity, in one accord, pressing in. That's how outpourings begin to happen. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and that you would come down. The mountains might shake at your presence. That the nations may tremble at your presence. One more scripture I want to look at. Isaiah, I mean, sorry, Hosea. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12 is something that God's been highlighting to us. <clears throat> Hosea, it's another one of the prophets. It's past Isaiah. It's farther on. It's one of the smaller, they call it the minor prophets. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, it says, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. There's different places in the scripture where God gives what you could see, you could almost call it a recipe. There's different places in scripture. God's not formulaic. But he does give us steps. He does give us insights. He does give us conditions upon which he will move, upon which he will answer. This, this, is, a, this is a great one. We all, we, most of us are, are familiar with 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, do you guys know this verse? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, I will heal their land. He gives us the conditions. If the land is not healed, whose fault is it? We put way too much emphasis on the sovereignty of God in revival. We put way too much emphasis on the sovereignty of God when it comes to revival and too little emphasis on the conditions upon which God says he will move by pouring out his spirit. The reason we don't have revival is because God has yet to find a people who have met the conditions for revival. That's the only reason why we have not yet seen the outpouring. Break up the fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he rains righteousness upon you. Break up the fallow ground, the hard-heartedness, where your hearts have become hardened, where your hearts have become mixed, where your hearts have become um, divided. 
And the weeds have grown in the heart. And they've choked out the soil. They've choked out God's word. They've choked out the, the, all the distractions, all the hindrances. All the, that's why we've been going through the series on the judgment and the cleansing. Because it's about the heart being prepared. And the hardness of the heart being, being, um, being broken up, being tilled. I'm not a farmer. But I know you don't want to plant seed in bad ground. I know that much. So why would God want to plant his seed in hearts that are not prepared, in hearts that are not, hearts that have been hardened, hearts that have been distant from God, hearts that have been, have mixture in them? He gives us the conditions. He says, break up the fallow ground, seek the Lord until I reign righteousness. He says, if my people will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, repentance, I will hear from heaven. Do you think God doesn't want to pour out his spirit? Do you think God doesn't want to save lost people? Do you think God doesn't want to see his kingdom advancing? The problem is not on God's end. If you don't know the history of revivals in this nation, I encourage you to read a book on it, do some research on it, go to the internet and just Google. We, this nation has a history of awakening and revivals. And that all the more puts the responsibility on us because God has been so good to this nation. There's a history. Read, read about the history of, of the awakenings of the movements, even going back before this nation. The, the, the Reformation in the 1500s was a major awakening that began. But then you go to the 1700s, and they, history calls it the Great Awakening. The Great Awakening, where there was massive movements of God's spirit, massive conviction of sin, massive awakening in the church, massive harvesting of souls through people like John Wesley and George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards. That literally set the destiny of our nation on a specific course. The 1700s, the Great Awakening. Then in the 1800s, history calls it the second great awakening under people like Charles Finney and, and others. During these times of awakening, hundreds of thousands of people are swept into the kingdom of God in a short period of time. More gets done in one year of revival than what would take a hundred years without revival. Do you understand this? When there's awakening, when there's revival, when there's outpouring of God's spirit, the 1800s, the Second Great Awakening, outpourings of God's Spirit, the Methodist movement continued, awakenings in Kentucky, awakenings in other places, in Tennessee. Oh, there was awakenings happening in this, in this country. Whole regions 
would come under the presence of God. Ships would be coming in, and as they got close to the land where these awakenings were happening, people on the ship would start coming under conviction of sin. They would start repenting just because they were coming close to the place where God's presence was there. See, part of our issue is that all we know is what we know. We don't even know it's possible. We think what we have is normal. Let me tell you, it's so far below normal. During these outpourings of the Spirit, these, these messengers like, like Jonathan Edwards, like Charles Finney, like, like, like George Whitfield, like they couldn't finish their sermons because the power of God would fall upon whole hundreds of people and there would be such conviction of sin that there, you could hear the moans and the cries and the people falling on their faces. Literally could not finish the sermons because God's power descended. People would be under conviction of sin for days. The type of conversions that would happen, the type of transformation that would happen. When God is that real, when God shows himself, when God rends the heavens and comes down in this way, and he shows himself in such a powerful way, that people either literally repented and got right with God or they left, they ran out of the place. And some literally were struck dead. I'm not joking. It just, it's part of revival history. Under the awful presence of God, every characteristic of God, his love, his holiness, his truth, his sovereignty, his grace, his mercy, all, it's who he is, was so near. There was such reverence in God's house. There was such a reverence, such an atmosphere of the tangible presence of God. The 1800s, the 1900s, you have the Welsh revival in, in, in Wales, but then in, in, in this country, you had the Azusa Street revival in coming out of California, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It launched the Pentecostal movement that is still impacting the world today. You read, I was reading the stories of these past revivals over these last couple of months. I was reading about the Azusa Street Revival. I was reading Frank Bartleman's book, Azusa Street. He was one of the main intercessors that helped birth this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He said multiple times, he, was, he would get close to the building, he would stop, he would pray for strength before he could even enter the building because the presence of God was so strong, he, did not, he, he could hardly... He had to prepare himself to enter into the building. The Spirit of God would fall. He said God would give the altar calls. The, the power of God would fall when they're preaching. People would be on their faces. When Charles Finney would preach, he said, he said, if I had a sword in my hand, I couldn't have cut the people down fast enough. They were falling on the ground under conviction of sin. Do we have any concept of what this even looks like? We've had other movements. We've had 
healing movements. We've had the charismatic renewal. We've had in the 90s, we had some outpourings, but we've yet to have the widespread awakening to come across this nation. That, that would be called a great awakening, a third great awakening. And so now here we are, a generation that hasn't seen revival. That we read about it in the history books. We read about it in the stories. We read about it in biographies. This nation needs an awakening. This nation is overdue for an awakening. But we cannot simply sit around and hope that one day God will send revival. We cannot just sit around and just wish. Wishful thinking will not get us revival. Hoping, desire, even desiring alone will not get us revival. Let me, let me give some definition of what I mean by revival. I've said some things already, but what do I mean? What is revival? We're going to answer some questions tonight. What is revival? I don't know who coined this phrase, but somebody said this. Revival is God's arrival. It's very simple. In other words... Revival is when God shows up. Like Isaiah 64, that you would rend the heavens and that you would come down. That you would rend the heavens and that you would come down. Revival is God's arrival. Revival is when God shows up. I know some people struggle with that because they're like, well, God's everywhere. What do you mean God shows up? Hey, let's read the Bible. You'll see there's times when God shows up. I'm not interested in a theological theory. Now, I, I'm, it's not a theory that God's everywhere. It's the truth. God's omnipresent. But I'm not interested in a tidy theological statement that comforts me that says God's everywhere without encountering him in real life, without a real encounter with the living God. God's everywhere, yet God showed up on the mountain with Moses. And the mountain shook with his presence and the fire fell and the smoke came. God's everywhere, but God poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost. The omnipresence of God says God's everywhere. The manifest presence of God says God is here. When you, have, you come face to face with the reality that God is here in our midst, that is what revival does. Face to face encounter with the living God. Undeniable, God is here. Nobody questions if God showed up. 
Revival is God's arrival. Let me read this definition from Arthur Wallace, 1950s writer. He wrote a book called In the Day of Thy Power. Highly recommend it. Scriptural Principles of Revival. It's one of the 15 books I've read in the past month. <laughs> Let me read this definition. This is his definition. Revival is divine intervention in the normal course of spiritual things. It is God revealing himself to man in awful holiness and irresistible power. It is such a manifest working of God that human personalities are overshadowed and human programs abandoned. It is man retiring into the background because God has taken the field. God revealing himself in awful holiness and irresistible power. Human personalities are overshadowed, programs abandoned. Man retires into the background because God has taken the field. Kim Owens, in her book, Doorkeepers of Revival, she's modern day. She heard their church, Fresh Start Church, is experiencing uh, some outpourings of the Spirit. She said, she, she, she defined it this way, revival is the sustained presence and power of God that results in transformation. The sustained presence and power of God that results in transformation. And so just kind of summarizing some of that, I just have this little definition. It's a sustained outpouring of the Holy Spirit that awakens the church and brings in a harvest of souls. That is what revival, that's what, that's what I mean. A sustained outpouring of the Holy Spirit that awakens the church and brings in a harvest of souls. Look at Acts chapter 2. That's revival. The day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out and God's people were so filled with his power. They were so filled with his love. They were so filled with his presence. Conviction of sin was so strong. Peter's message the Holy Spirit breathed upon it so sharply that 3,000 souls were convicted and said, what must we do to be saved? And they were brought into the kingdom of God, 3,000 souls. But it was a sustained outpouring. They sustained it throughout the book of Acts, through, through, through the apostles' teaching, through fellowship, through breaking of bread, and through continuing steadfastly in prayer. So simple what they did. They didn't have money. They didn't have a sound system. They didn't have all the bells and whistles. They didn't have the church planning manual. Jesus gave them his church planning strategy. It was called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That was the church planting strategy. That was how they were going to make disciples. That was how they were going to multiply. They would have the Holy Spirit, and that was all they would need. Now we have everything else without the Holy Spirit. 
We have the lights, we have the flash, we have the marketing, we have the social media, we have the, we have the programs, we have the systems, we have the way to grow a church large. We have all these things to appeal, to attract, to grow, and God is outside the building. And it makes me wonder how many people are actually getting converted and how many people are just praying a nice little prayer but their life never changes. What is revival? Here's some of the characteristics. Some of this is repeat, but awakening in the church and a great turning back to God. How many people think the church needs to be awakened? How many people think we need awakening in the church at large? We need awakening in the church at large, out of our slumber, out of our mixture, out of our hardness. How can we live like we do if eternity is real? How can we live like we do if the gospel is true? How can we spend our time the way we do if eternity is real, if the gospel is true, if heaven is real, if hell is real? Do we believe the Bible? Do we believe that this is true? Do we believe that eternity is forever and this life is a vapor? Are we living like that? Are we living as if eternity is real? See, we need awaken. We need to be waken up out of slumber. Revival is not just a bunch of people that come to an event. Revival is not just big meetings. Revival is when your life gets wrecked on Jesus and nothing else matters. And you're, you give yourself willingly to him because you've seen him for who he is. And you give yourself over willingly because nothing else is worth living for. Awakening in the church and a turning back to God. Another characteristic, as I said earlier, a great harvest of souls. You read about the, the awakenings in, you know, one year's time in Wales. I think it was like 100,000 100, souls in 1904. You know, under Finney's meetings and his revivals, hundreds of thousands of souls soundly converted, like powerfully converted. Harvest of souls. Multitudes of people brought into the kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the gospel. Here's another characteristic of revival, deep conviction of sin and a thorough work of repentance that lead to dramatic conversions and dramatic transformations. You will not have to guess if a person got saved. You will not have to guess 
If a person accepted Christ, you will, you will know because they will be transformed. Their life will not be the same as it was the day before. Their, the way they talk will change. Their heart will change. People that have been hardened to God will be weeping in God's presence. People that were given over to sin will be so sensitive to sin. They'll be so sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Deep works of conviction by the Holy Spirit's presence. Characteristic of revival, there is not only a powerful intent, it's, it's intensity and it's the wide range of influence that makes revival. The intensity is what I've been talking about, those deep works, those deep outpourings, those deep repentance, those deep conversions. That's intense, it's intensity, but it's also wide ranging. It sweeps through areas, it sweeps through regions. In some of the past revivals, crime dropped. Crime left, the police didn't have a job to do. Jails were empty, bars were closed down. as a byproduct of the revivals, of the outpourings of God's Spirit. We're trying to change society in our own strength. We're trying to change the world in our human power. We're trying to feed the multitudes with five loaves and two fish. Instead of giving what we have to Jesus and bringing him into the equation. Not only into the equation, like take over. We've been asking God to bless what we're doing. Instead of God, when, see, when, when revival comes, he comes down and he's, he, you, you just hold on to what he's doing. Now, he, he, I don't like to say the word needs, but by the way he set it up, he needs people to work through because he set it up that way. He works through people. It's not just asking him to bless our work and bless this ministry and bless this. It's God coming down and inviting us to go with him into what he's doing. Powerful intensity, wide range influence. And then that leads to transformation of culture, transformation of regions. I'm not sure what, what, what always comes first. People think when abortion ends, we'll have revival. I think when we have revival, abortion will end. I think they go together. I think they're both probably true. I think the ending of the legal sacrifice of children will have a dramatic impact on the spiritual climate of this region. But is that because... Is that going to bring revival or is it the burdened prayers and the seeking and the travailing and the crying out to God over the last 40 years that's actually going to tip the scales to see God's justice come to the earth for the unborn? So I hope that paints a little bit of a picture of what revival is. Everyone has its unique, every revival in history has certain characteristics that are similar, but they all have uniqueness about them. They all, they're always controversial. Always will have 
targeted by the enemy, always be persecuted. Oh, it's just that goes with it. There's always dramatic manifestations of God that cause people to question or wonder. Starting on the day of Pentecost, you could see the responses. So I'm just saying, get ready for whatever God wants to do. That's what is revival. Next question. Why must we have revival? Do I even need to ask this question? I'll be quick on this one. Why must we have revival? Well, look at the condition of the church. Look at the worldliness in the church. Look at the mixture in the church. Look at the worldliness in the pulpit. Look at the mixture in the pulpits. Look at the powerlessness in the, in the, in the church at large. The slumbering. Look at the moral decay and lawlessness in society. The moral decay over the last just 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Moral decay in a society points to a church that has lost its lampstand. When Jesus said, you are the salt and you are the light, we cannot just take on a fatalistic mindset. Well, it's just going to get worse. And well, you know, it's the last day. So this is bad. Things going to happen. This is, Listen, Jesus said, you don't know the day or the hour. You don't know when he's going to come. I understand in the last days, there's good times, there's bad. It's, it's going to be, there's a lot of stuff going on. There. There's different perspectives of the end times. But we cannot just take on a fatalistic mindset as well. Whatever's going to be, is just going to be. No, this is on our watch. This is happening on my watch, on your watch, on our watch. The moral de decay of our society is happening on our watch. We need to see revival because there's been such powerlessness in our, in, in, our, in our preaching of the gospel. Where are the radical conversions? Where are people that were bound by homosexuality instantly delivered and instantly walking in purity and in truth? Where, where are the testimonies of, you know, that, that drug addict that was so gripped, so bound that God encounters them through the power of the gospel and the chains are broken and they're set free? And I know we have testimonies, we have deliverances, I get it, but we are not seeing nearly the power of the gospel that we see in the Bible, that the scripture tells us is the, is the power of the gospel. This is why we need revival. God says amen. Amen. <clears throat> How do we get revival? It's the last question I'm going to tackle. How do we get revival? Well, let me just say this. 
Revival does not happen by accident. And revival does not happen randomly. If you've learned anything by church history, by the, by the biblical examples, the biblical principles, the day of Pentecost was not an accident. The day of Pentecost was not random. It was a three and a half year process and then a 10 day pressing in of prayer, consistent, constant prayer that led to the birth of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It does, it does not happen randomly. We can't, again, just leave it up to God's sovereignty and say, well, if God wants to send revival, he'll send revival. That reminds me of Hezekiah at the end of his life when the enemy nations were coming in. You know, Hezekiah knew how to pray when it mattered to him. When his city was on the line, when his life was on the line. But then when there was a prophecy that future generations, he said, well, if it's the Lord's will, it's the Lord's will. If we don't get revival, it will be because of ourselves. It will be because of selfishness. That's why. I read earlier, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. right? If my people will humble themselves, pray, seek, turn, Joel 2 gives a progression. Solemn assembly, call the people together, call a fast, humble yourselves with repentance, with prayer, rending your hearts, not your garments. All that leads up to the outpouring. Then it says, I'll pour out my spirit. All this leads up. This doesn't happen by accident and it doesn't happen to half-hearted people. I'm preaching to myself. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground. It's time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Arthur Wallace, I mentioned him earlier. He points out from that passage, he, he, he says there's, he points out the two main conditions, overarching conditions from that passage, heart preparation and prevailing prayer. Break up the fallow ground. That's the heart preparation. That encompasses repentance. That encompasses cleansing. That encompasses humility, humbling ourselves, posturing ourselves, all of that. Break up the fallow ground. It is time to seek the Lord. That's prevailing prayer. That is pursuit of God. That is consistent, persistent prayer. Leonard Ravenhill said this, every outpouring of the Spirit is preceded by earnest, agonizing intercession accompanied by a heartbrokenness and humiliation before God. 
When I read about Azusa Street, I'd never read much about Azusa Street until recently. When I read about Frank Bartleman and his intercession, and the way it consumed him, and the way he agonized, and the way he prayed, and the way he went days, he would go days in agony, he would go days in groaning, he would go days in intercession. When I read about Charles Finney, and I read about the intercessors that interceded for him, Daniel Nash, Abel Clary, who would go and they'd go into the places where he was going to be ministering and they'd spend days in fasting. They'd spend days in groaning. They'd spend days in travail and weeping. This is what the old time people called the spirit of prayer. You don't hear about this today. At least I don't. He called it the spirit of prayer where the Holy Spirit would overtake someone. It's, it's in the Bible. It's in Romans chapter 8, where it says the Holy Spirit intercedes through us with groans that cannot be uttered, where all you can do is groan because the burden is so great. And all you can do is cry and weep and groan and travail. You can't have that kind of prayer and be fascinated with the world at the same time. You can't have that kind of prayer and live a flippant life. You can't have that kind of prayer and dabble with sin. You can't have that kind of prayer and be worldly. Why is that kind of prayer so rare? Because it's so costly. One of the reasons why I've been encouraged in these last couple of months is because we're just starting, beginning to see this kind of prayer. Just a very small scale, very, very beginning of it. We're starting to see tears, intercession, travail, groans as we're gathering in our pressing in, our group that's pressing in, that's committed, that's going all in. It's, we're beginning to see these kind of rumblings, these kind of intercessions, these kind of tears. So it's heart preparation and it's prevailing prayer. That's the two main conditions. Heart preparation, humility, humbling ourselves, repentance, turning away from any type of sin, breaking up the fallow ground, our hearts that are hardened or unfruitful or filled with weeds and thorns. It's, it's letting the Lord get into those places, what we've been going through the last month, the cleansing, the purification. But then it's prevailing prayer. I've said this before. Revival is not birthed through casual prayers. Revival is not birthed through casual prayers. I love this quote by Bill Johnson. He said, we often pray enough to ease our conscience, but not enough to make a difference. Revivals are never the result of token prayers. If the prayers don't move me, they won't move him. I love those statements. We often pray enough to ease our conscience, 
but not enough to make a difference. We pray in such a way that we can check it off the list. Oh, I had my prayer time today. Did it do anything? Or did it just allow me to pat myself on the back that I had my prayer time today? But are we getting into a prayer where we're seeing souls birthed into the kingdom? Where we're seeing travail that births an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Do you hear what I'm saying? See, I'm, I want to be as clear as I can because I do not want to present some like pie-in-the-sky picture of revival. Like, oh, yay, revival. Like, let's do this. It's going to be so fun. Like, I'm not trying to be like somber for the sake of being somber. I'm just trying to be real. Like, it's, it's, it's not a game. It's not going to happen just because we wish it or just because we talk about it one day at church or just because we have a nice prayer time. It's, it's going to cost us everything. It's going to cost us everything. But he's worth it. Jesus deserves a church in revival. While revival is costly, it will be more costly to not have revival. I don't want to imagine this nation in 10 years from now without revival coming. I shudder to think of what this nation, I shudder to think of what my children are gonna grow up in if this nation does not have revival. Have you ever considered the cost of not having revival? It will cost the next generation. God wants to give us his heart, his burden. For his people, for the lost, for this nation. Sometimes people ask me if I feel called to certain nations. I feel called to this, and I've, I've gotten prophetic words about going to the nations. I've gotten, I'm called to this nation. I feel burdened for this nation.
Can we just start praying? God, let your Holy Spirit fall upon us right now, God. God, I ask you to pour out the Holy Spirit with conviction right now, God. I ask you to pour out the spirit of prayer, God. God, I ask you to give me your burden, Lord, for this nation, God. I ask you to give me your burden for the lost, God. I ask you to give me your burden for the church, God. I ask you to wake me up, Father, out of any slumber, Lord. God, wake me up, God, out of any distraction, Father, anything that's keeping my attention, Lord. God, deliver me from the temporary. Deliver me from being fixated on the temporary, God. Lord, when eternity is at stake, when eternity, Father. God, I ask for the fire of your spirit to fall right now, God. I ask for the fire of the Holy Spirit to fall, God, to consume me, Lord, and to consume, to consume this church family, God, to consume us, God. God, to consume us, Lord, that we never recover, God, that we never recover from it, Lord. God, that we would never go back to business as usual, God, that we would never just be satisfied, Lord, without your presence, God. We'd never be satisfied, Lord, without your spirit being poured out, Father. God, I ask, Father, ruin me for the normal, God.
God, let your purifying fire fall. Let your convicting fire fall, Lord. Let your, your, your love fall, God. Let your presence fall, God. Rend the heavens, God. Rend the heavens and come down, God. Rend the heavens, God. Rend the heavens, God. And come down, Father. God, I ask for the intercession of the Holy Spirit to be released in this place right now. I ask for the intercession of the Holy Spirit to be released in this place right now. God, we're not looking for pretty. We're not looking for polished, God. We're looking for your presence. We're looking for you, God. Pour out the Holy Spirit, God. God, we can't conjure it. We can't make it happen, God, but we yield ourselves. God, I pray that you turn this place into a birthing room, God, because you're releasing your spirit, God. You're birthing souls into your kingdom, Father. Just yield yourself to the Holy Spirit, whatever he's doing right now in your own heart. If it's repentance, repent. If it's confessing sin, if it's humbling yourself, if there's things you're turning away from, turn away from the idols. If it's humbling yourself before him, if it's crying out to him, if it's travailing, if it's crying, if it's tears, yield to him right now. Whatever he's doing right now, thank you, Father. God, send your Holy Spirit, Lord. Send your Spirit, God, upon us now. God, for Jesus Christ's sake, for your sake, for your kingdom's sake, pour out your Spirit.
Thank you, Father. Father, I ask right now for a breaking up of the fallow ground in the hearts of us, of, this, of our lives, Lord, of our own people here, Lord, my own heart. God, of the hearts in this place, God, I ask for a breaking up of the fallow ground. God, it is time to seek the Lord. It is time to seek the Lord until he reigns righteousness. God, I ask for the grace for the until. I ask for the grace of pressing until. I ask for the grace of pushing until. God, forgive us for our impatience, God, for our lack of perseverance, God. Forgive us for being distracted, Lord, or sidetracked, Father. God, I pray for that laser focus, God. That laser focus, God, that all-consuming fire, God. God, let it burn in us, Lord, every day. Let it burn in us every night, God. Lord, light it by your spirit, Lord, by your spirit, God. Lord, my flesh can do nothing of it, Lord. My flesh can't make it happen, Lord. God, restore the fear of the Lord to your people. Restore the fear of the Lord to your house. Restore the awe of God, the wonder of God, the beauty of God, the majesty of God. I thank you that your word says, God, that you are near to the humble and those who tremble at your word, God. I thank you, Lord. Teach us what it means to humble ourselves, to walk in true humility, God so that we can have nearness to you, friendship with you. God, I pray over a few, even a few in this room right now for a baptism of a burden for the lost right now to fall upon people in this room. I feel like there's a few people in this room that God's baptizing, God's burdening your heart for the lost. It's going to increase tonight. It's going to increase tonight. There's going to be an increased prayer and intercession.
You're going to find yourself weeping. You're going to find yourself being waking up in the middle of the night, praying and crying. God, I ask for that baptism, Lord, of a burden for the lost right now, God. God, your heart, your heart, God, your heart, God, the heart of the Father waiting for the son to return, waiting for the prodigal, the heart of the father that was waiting, that was yearning. God, I ask it to be released right now upon us, God. God, I ask for it. God, I thank you for the intercessors that you're calling right now. I thank you, God, for the intercession that you're releasing now, God. I thank you for it, God. God, release the burden for the lost. God, release the tears, God. Release the intercession. Release the travail, God. Thank you, God, that those who sow in tears will reap with joy. God, I pray, Lord, let the tears fall. Let the tears be released, God. God, I thank you that the tears are seeds that bring in a harvest of souls right now, God. I thank you for the groans and the intercession, Lord, of the Holy Spirit. Increase it, God. Increase it, God. Increase it, God. Pour out your spirit, God. Increase it, Lord. Wake us up in the night, God, to pray, Lord. Wake us up in the morning to wait upon you, God, to intercede, God. Grip us with eternity, God. Grip us with eternity, God. Don't let us waste our time, God. Don't let us waste our life, God. Deliver us from self. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Move by your spirit. God, I thank you that even in this room as well, Lord, you're releasing your burden for this nation, God. God, I ask for your burden for this nation, God. I ask for your burden to see awakening, God, in this nation, Father.
God, release the burden for this next generation, Father. Release the burden for the sons and daughters, God, to encounter you. God, God, give us the burden, Father, for the next generation, Lord, to encounter you, God, to be delivered from the evil one, Father. God, help us to count the cost and say yes, because you're worthy, because you're worth it, because you're worth it, Jesus. You're worth it, Jesus. Help us to count the cost and say yes. God, it's not flippant. God, I ask for that conviction of sin, God, to fall upon this region. God, to fall upon this church, to fall upon the people in this room. God, help us, God. I ask for that conviction of sin in my own life, God. I ask for the conviction of sin, Lord, in this room, God. Lord, make us sensitive to sin again, Lord. Make us, Lord, let us not be desensitized because of the world around us, God. Let us weep over it, God. I pray for that increased conviction of the Holy Spirit, God that brings repentance. I pray for repentance in this room tonight, God. God, repentance in this room tonight, God. Hearts turned to you, Lord. Hearts awakened. God, I pray that you would eradicate lukewarmness from our midst, God. I ask that you would er eradicate, Lord, the fence sitting. Eradicate the lukewarmness, God. Eradicate, Lord, being satisfied with self and with so little, God. We want you. We want you, God.
God, I thank you that your word says, repent therefore and be converted. Your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. God, I thank you that as you pour out your spirit, God, there's repentance, there's tears, there's conviction. I thank you there's also refreshing. I thank you there's joy. God, I pray right now you would just deliver us from any preconceived ideas of what it's going to have to look like. God, we just say we want you. God, I say I want you. I say I want you. God, I say your Holy Spirit is welcome in my life, and your Holy Spirit is welcome in this church, and your Holy Spirit is welcome in this region. Your Holy Spirit is welcome, God, in this nation. God, I ask, Father, whatever it looks like, God, deliver me, Lord, from any preconceived idea of what I feel like it has to look like, God. We just want you. I just want you. I want you. I want you, God. Thank you, God. Father, I thank you for how you're moving tonight. I thank you, Lord, for what you're starting. Thank you for hearts, Lord, being sensitized. I thank you for your spirit moving, Father. I thank you, God. God, let us not shy away from the tears. Let us not shy away from the expressions of prayer. Let us not shy away, God. I just want to encourage you. you can't, we can't conjure up even just what just happened in this room and what, how the Holy Spirit was moving in people in this room. You can't make that happen, but we can yield ourselves and say, God, I'm a vessel and I yield myself to you. We can give our time to him. We can wait upon him. We can seek him. We can do what we know we're supposed to do. Breaking up the fallow ground, humbling ourselves before him, pursuing him, waiting upon him, not being satisfied with anything less. We can position ourselves what we're hearing in this room tonight, that's what it sounds like when souls are birthed into God's kingdom, when there's tears, when there's travailing, when there's crying out for the lost. as a
as a church body, as a leadership team, we've been in this place of pursuing and tonight really felt like it was time to bring more of the body into this and put the stake in the ground that says it's time to go all in for revival, for outpouring. So I want to give you something to consider and pray about of how God is asking you to be involved. I, don't, I do not want people to make an emotional like commitment. I want people to actually take time and weigh and pray and discern But on our leader, I, I mentioned earlier, there's a group of us are from our elders, from our staff, from our intercessory team that we've committed to certain things. We've committed to, to fasting on a weekly basis. We've committed to gathering and interceding together for hours um, each week, just coming together and um, pushing in. We've committed to be here for pre-service prayer to begin to pursue God together. <clears throat> and I want to invite I want to invite people in the room to to consider something similar. I want to invite you to consider what is your own part in revival? I loved what uh, the brother that was sitting there, he, he left a few minutes ago. He had a shirt on. He was a first time visitor. His shirt said, revival starts with me. I thought that was pretty cool. What does personal revival look like for me? What does personal revival look like for you? What does it look like? But I want to I ask you to consider this over this next week of actually committing as it relates to Threshold Church in the pursuit of the outpouring of the Spirit to fasting something once, doing some sort of a fast weekly as you pray for God's Spirit to pour out, joining one of our prayer gatherings at least once a week, picking one of our prayer gatherings. That's why we pray. That's why we're seeking God. We're pursuing God for an outpouring. Prayer, prevailing prayer is one of the main keys. And consider committing to coming and being part of our pre-service prayer. Those are just, those are just like thoughts on how this can be practically, what steps can be taken. Because we can all sit here and listen to a message on revival but it's like, well, what can we actually do? What can we do? What can, what can we do next? We can humble ourselves. Yes, pray, fast, seek. But I want to give some pr- like practical steps as well. Like pray about it this week. Consider it. Ponder it. And I, and I want people to make a flippant decision uh, just because we're in a service tonight. I, w- I want people to actually pray and discern. Is this something God's saying to me? Is this God, some, God calling me to do? And if so, I want you to make that commitment to saying, I'm going to fast each week. I'm going to join a prayer gathering each week. I'm going to be here for prayer on Sundays because we're pressing until. That's what we're doing. We are pressing until. We've had, we've had enough seasons where we've pressed for a season, but we are now in a place of pressing until there is an outpouring. When God grips your your heart for revival, when you understand the possibility of it, it's like, what else would I do? 
Like, I'm going to either have revival or I'm going to die in the process of getting revival. Like, it's like, what else is worth living for? I mean, it's him. It's revival is him. It's his presence. But revival is inevitable when the conditions are met. The last thing I want to say, just to help, this could also help on this journey, is I really felt like the Lord gave me three helpful keys to help fuel the fire for this pursuit and this pressing in. And one is the promises of Scripture. We looked at some of them tonight, looking at the, what are the promises of God's Word, of His outpouring, His healing the land, of His coming in revival, what are the promises of God's word? That fuels the prayer. That fuels the pursuit. Number two, the prophetic words spoken over your life, spoken over Threshold Church. The prophetic words that are there are promises for us to come into agreement with and intercede with, not just to stay back and say, oh, okay. What are those prophetic words? Number three, the stories of past revivals. If, you, if you're not familiar with revival history, just begin to look online, begin to find books. If you need book recommendations, we can put some out there. We have plenty of books. Read about Charles Finney's revivals. Read about Azusa Street Revival. Read about the first awakening, the second great awakening. Read the stories because it opens our eyes up to what could be and what we're missing. Like, wait a second, this happened? Like, this is what God will do? Like, then what else are we doing? Like, what? So the promises of Scripture, the prophetic words that God has spoken in the, the stories of the past revivals are going to help to fuel the fire of the pursuit of pressing in until he comes afresh. We're just going to wait on the Lord. And anyone that needs to be dismissed can, can be dismissed at this point forward if you need to get your kids. But I just, I don't want to flippantly close or I just, if you need to, let's stay in this posture, those that are able to, or those that want to stay for a little bit longer. Um, so I just want to encourage you to if you're, if you're being dismissed, just to be respectful of what's happening in the room. And we're just going to quietly just wait, wait on God for those that are able to stay a little bit longer. So, Father, we just... God, we just put this stake in the ground and say yes to you. I ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to walk it out. 
to press until, to ask until. God, I ask for the spirit of repentance and the spirit of prayer. We lay ourselves on the altar and we say yes. Count the cost and we say yes. We say you're worthy. In Jesus' name. We're just going to wait quietly on the Lord. That's, I think, one of the keys he's leading us into. We're just going to wait. For more information about Threshold Church, visit the website at threshold-church.com.